God, I thank you so much. I thank you that you provide for us. In no way do we provide for you. There's been no moment in history where, where you looked at humanity and said, Phew, so glad that you came through for me. But God, you provide for us. And in that, God, I pray that we would continue to place all of our trust in you. Jesus, I pray that today's sermon, what, what we're bringing today, God, I pray that, that it would bring us to you willingly. Jesus, I pray that you would be glorified. God, I pray that you would settle our hearts on you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the past three weeks, we've been speaking about fear. And, you know, really popular sermon series, you know, that's, that's what you come to church for, talk about fear. That's, uh, that's the way we do it. But we're just going to keep on going because fear is real. And church is about real community. We're not just about, you know, roses and unicorns. Um, and so we've been talking about fear, fear of rejection, fear of failure, and fear of death. And these are universal fears. They affect every single one of us. That's just part of our regular, li regular life. So as it's Easter Sunday today, I asked us to, I'm going to ask us to consider the abject power of God. The power of God. And, and him showing it in the resurrection of the dead. This is extreme in every way. And it's foundational to our faith. And so God's power raising Jesus from the dead. So our text is, as it's been for the past four weeks, and I wonder how many of us have memorized it, 2 Timothy 1, 7 to 10. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, fear of rejection, but share in his suffering by the power of the gospel, who saved us by his holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, fear of failure, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, which has now been manifest through the appearing of our Savior Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, fear of death. Today, we're going to talk about the fourth fear. And it's a sermon that I've not heard very often in church, and that's the fear of God. The fear of God. See, fear is an awareness of a threat to your normal life. Fear is the awareness of a threat to your normal life, and how you deal with it, how you respond to that threat, matters. What you believe about that threat will determine how you respond to that threat. And so the fear of God is important for us to consider. The spirit that God has given us is defined by God's power, his love, and his self-control. And so I'm going to ask you on Slack, and you can engage on Slack with me today. If you're part of our Slack community, this is, this is where you do it. Um, in what ways is God a threat to your normal life? In what ways is God a threat to your normal experience? Just a fast recap. Um, somebody asked me just quickly to define normal. Your day by day. You expect you wake up in the morning, you've got norm, that's normal. In what way is God a threat to your normal? 
So fast recap, there's a couple ways that you can respond to a threat. We can respond in fear, in, in, in terror, in scared, in being afraid. You can, you can respond in caution, in preparation, in, in all these other ways. You can respond in confidence, in courage, and boldness. So we have a scale on how we can respond to the awareness of a threat. Those are our action words that we have in response to fear. Now, you can, you have a fear of rejection. You can accommodate the fear of rejection by isolating yourself. The fear of rejection is accommodated when you isolate yourself and don't, don't ever put yourself forward, don't, don't actively love others. But you can absorb the threat, the, the fear of rejection, by sourcing your love from God. And loving at a deficit. That was a few weeks ago. You can watch that service. Fear of failure, you can accommodate the threat by not branching out and doing anything new. Oh, it's new. I don't do anything new. I'm not going to do that. But the fear of failure can be absorbed by saying, I am not judged on my productivity or my performance, but on God's love for me. The fear of failure can be absorbed because of what you know about God's love for you. And the fear of death is, is accommodated by avoid risk-taking and playing it safe in every way. It's absorbed by taking an eternal perspective on your life and placing all your hope in the resurrection. So in what ways does, is God a threat to my normal life? God challenges us and pushes us to love. This is somebody on Slack. Those who we may not want to, to step out of our normal and to be his bridge to others in the world. He tells us to pick up our cross, which means we must go outside of what normal is for us. Someone wrote, he is a threat to my sovereignty. Mind you, I want that, but it's a threat to those who don't want to be autonomous. Someone else wrote, I like some of my coping strategies and, and defense mechanisms. They're familiar. As God heals me, he changes me and challenges me to leave many of my defense mechanisms behind, and that threatens my sense of safety. The threat is that God might possibly change your definition of normal, and I pray that God does that. So when I think of fear as a threat to my, my normal life, the result is Jesus' resurrection from the dead on Easter Sunday means Jesus is Lord and I am not. It means Jesus is Lord and I am not. There is a direct threat to the way that we as a society have believed our own autonomy brought in by the resurrection of the dead. See, we're used to setting up things our own way. We're used to having control of situations. We hated the pandemic because it made us lose our sense of control. Jesus is Lord in the resurrection, and I am not. God is a threat to my normal way of life. Isaiah 55, 8 to 9, for God's thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways God's ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than your ways, and God's thoughts higher um, than your thoughts. What 
will I do with the awareness of the threat of God? Will I accommodate the fear and set my life up in avoidance of God? Will I push God away because he is a threat to my own sovereignty, as someone mentioned earlier? It will make it so that I don't need to change anything. If God is a threat to me because Jesus is Lord, then I have the option of responding with rejection. Jesus will not be my Lord and Master. See, I have spoken to people while telling them about the great news of God, that God's going to live with us and he's going to make everything right. I've spoken to people about that, and invariably, part of it sounds really, really good. Part of it sounds like, oh, that's exactly what I want, God making everything right. And then it comes to the way it's made right is through the lordship of Jesus. And there's an imposition against me and my definition of right. Are there areas of my life that the lordship of Jesus says that is going to change? Welcome to Easter Sunday. (laughs) Welcome to Easter Sunday because when Jesus rose from the dead, he became Lord. Who am I in light of who God is? Who am I? Who am I in light of who God is? This is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. When I consider my appeal to God, what leverage do I have to convince God that he should love me? What sort of action can I take to show that, God, I'm really your favorite? What do I say in the presence of God? When we actually consider God, we assume we know about his love and his grace. But what holds God to it? What power do we wield over God? If, if, if God were to change his mind, who would confront him or oppose him? Who would? What law governs God? There is none. There is none. See, God chooses and defines what is good. This is heavy. This is offensive. God chooses and defines what is good because God did it, made it good. We get our understanding of good from observation of God. But it is by God's choice. God defines what's good. So, do you find it intimidating and threatening that God chooses and defines what's good? 
It's just an opinion question. I'd love to hear it on Slack. A couple other people have, uh, have asked... Um, I've asked a little bit about what a threat is. Someone put a definition, a statement or an intention to inflict pain or injury, damage, or hold a hostile on someone in retribution for something done or not done. That is a definition of a threat. But a threat is also something that allows me to, to know that my normalcy has to change. Someone was talking to me the other day and said a conversation between any, actually it was a video I was watching, a conversation between any male always has a, has an issue of threat in it. Who's going to win? Whose opinion is going to stand? Do you find it intimidating that God chooses and defines what's good? Someone says, absolutely. What is worse than thinking you're doing a great job and show it to your father, God in this case, and he frowns instead of smiles? Perfect love casts out fear. Someone's quoting from 1 John. Perfect. Love it. So the Easter claim that we have, the Easter claim we have is Jesus is Lord. There is no law of court, no check balance, no jurisdiction that God cannot reign in. Our claim is that we're autonomous people and we can determine what's good for us. We're, we're a culture that holds to that claim. God determines what's good. That's why the book of Job exists. Job thinks that he has God pinned in a corner. I didn't do anything wrong. Why did all this retributive stuff happen to me? So, so Job is, is having this, this problem. His expectation was that God was in the wrong until God speaks, starting in Job 38. And Job has to check his perspective. So it's Easter Sunday, and we're, we're celebrating the fact that, get this, we know God through what he, do, what he does, so here we are. God chose that Jesus was to rise from the dead. That makes it good. God chose to show all humanity grace. That is good. God chose to forbear the removal of all evil so that you and I can approach him. That is good. Acts 2.32 says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And 36 says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. See, it's the power of God that rose Jesus from the dead. And it's theologically consistent because we know God. We can describe God because of his actions that he's taken throughout history. We're able to describe him. We're able to say, okay, this is what God is like. This is what God is not like because God did this and he did not do that. So we see it throughout the biblical text. God did this. God did this. God did this. God did this. And from that, we get a character of God. But one of the mistakes that we've made is that somehow that character rules our God. So somebody said, somebody said, okay, the gospel message is Jesus is Lord. And the theological rebuttal to that is, but what type of Lord? Well, what we have is, is the character. This God has been good. God has been faithful. God has been loving. God will remove evil. God will overcome. We have the character of God, but that does not separate from God and rule God. That is God. 
And so what we've done is we've, is we've said, oh, well, God is ruled by love. What? No, God loves. That's his choice. God is God. God doesn't have to do anything. God's not compelled by any power greater than himself. God simply chooses. So the appropriate response is to recognize and be aware, cognitively and emotionally, of the threat that God is to us. Proverbs are full of admonishment, the fear of God. Here too, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Someone asked on Slack, is God capable of doing anything that is not of the utmost good? No, because God defines what is good. Evil is that which is against God. Wow, how comfortable is this? We would love that there would be some moral check or balance on God, judged by our own opinion, our own view of the knowledge of good and evil, that we would, that we would hold God to account. Whoops. Who are we? to hold God to account. God rose Jesus from the dead and showed himself to be Lord. We don't like that word. Did you notice that fiction uses the word Lord negatively? Lord is a, is a power and position over and against us. We should fight against lordship. We should, we should avoid lordship. But God calls us into him to love and trust him implicitly as Lord and Savior. I'm going to get fired. <laughs> From the place of reality... We are less. I was preparing for this sermon and I prayed lots because I'm going to get fired. And I was praying and I realized this. When we say that Jesus overcame, we literally admit that Jesus has overcome me. I have no recourse but the grace of God. No recourse but his decision to love me. No recourse but his faithfulness to throw myself at his feet and say, God, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are good. How do I accept the genuine fear of God like Proverbs requires and says that the, that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge? How do I accept it and still approach him? Acknowledge and meditate on the vast difference between myself and God. Stop, big word, anthropomorphizing God. Stop trying to make God the same as you. He is bigger than you. Yes, Jesus became human. 
Yes, he put aside the Godhead peace and he became one of us to communicate his love for us. He chose to do it. How do I approach God with a genuine fear, genuine acknowledgement that he is a threat to me and my will? I acknowledge and meditate on the vast difference. I acknowledge the reliance that I have to, on God's pursuit of love. God initiated this. God loves you not because of what you did that was good, but because he chose to. It was God's idea to include you by his free choice. It wasn't complicated compelled by anything you did God chose to love you allow God three allow God to set a table before you in the presence of your enemies the natural chaos and the response to fear allow him to set a table in front of you to say and, and acknowledge that he is trustworthy yes he's Lord yes he's powerful but he is a good Lord and that good is understood even to our own benefit thank God Thank God. See, the fear of God affects our posture and our approach to God. It humbles us and makes us ready to accept His wisdom and His instruction. We need to absorb the threat of God in our normalcy. We need to adjust for the reality that God is greater in love and authority than us and allow God to follow through on the threat to our normalcy and change us. Sometimes we've tried to soften God or make him more appealing. We've tamed God so that he's approachable. Hence the, the saying about, oh, I'll make it fired. I don't actually think I'll get fired. But, but the common knowledge, the common communication is God's just approachable. He's got to accommodate you. God doesn't have to accommodate you. Someone just quoted C.S. Lewis, of course he's not safe, but he's good. Let us approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find help in time of need. Mercy. That's what the lesser calls out to the Lord and says, mercy. Because it's only God who chooses us. He chooses you. He's totally out of our league. God is out of our league. And we see it in the resurrection. So how will I respond to the threat of God being greater than me and Jesus being Lord? How will I absorb the reality of God into my life? How will I absorb the threat of God? What areas in your life will be affected by the reality that Jesus is Lord? That what areas of your life must change? Jesus calls him to himself. I'm going to close with this Bible reading. Revelation 3, 5 to 21. I know your works. I see you. You're neither hot or cold. I would, I would either that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You, you may have overestimated yourself in comparison to God. 
I counsel you, buy for me gold refined by the fire so that you may be rich. White garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see Jesus has chosen a way forward. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. The fear of God will lead you to change the way you live because God still loves you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to eat with him and he with me. There is still hope for you. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus overcame death and the fear of failure and the fear of rejection. And now, out of his great love for us, he offers a seat, undeserved, offers a seat with this great God. Worship team, if you want to come up. It's only in our acceptance of God as a threat to our normal existence where we truly find ourselves embracing our need for God. It is only when we see who God is and we see it perfectly clearly in the resurrection of Jesus. All power and honor and glory goes to Jesus our Lord. So my question, will you accept the fear of God into your life and allow God to change you into the image of his son Jesus? That's God's initiation. Will you accept God's work? Let me pray. God, you truly are great. You truly are way more powerful than us, and you define what's good. God, God, you are so much greater than us, and yes, we've learned to distrust, you know, lords that are, are, that are of human making. We've learned to distrust that, that power can be used well with love and wholeness, but now we see you in the person of Jesus, Lord and Savior, saving us from even ourselves. So today we come humbly, Lord, and we say, in which way would you change me? In Jesus' name, amen.